Okay, welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. This is your host, that's me, Jennifer Vaughn. How is everybody doing? I hope you are all doing well. It's Monday morning. It's time to get our week started. Woohoo! I'm home this week. Unless they call me for subbing, I have nothing. I'm out of work at the moment. I don't have any summer school jobs. I had one last week, which was really great for an entire week. I did some special ed. There was a teacher that was out for bereavement for the first week of summer school, and I got the um, I got the call, and they needed someone, and I jumped to it, and it was a really nice week. It was great, actually. I always enjoy doing special ed. It's a completely different experience than general ed, obviously. I always cherish those times um, in the special ed class, but yeah, so this week, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm home, so probably be doing a lot of social media stuff. I'll take advantage of the free time at home. Um, okay, so I'm kind of shitting my pants right now, so I've watched... MTV's The Real World and Road Rules and The Challenge since the beginning. I've never missed an episode. And um, The Challenge has a host, TJ Lavin. He's been the host for a long time. And I've followed him on Instagram. And a couple times while he was doing lives for the heck of it, I, I requested to go on his live. And he said yes, like twice. I mean, he's a really nice guy. Like, he does this. He will, like, accept pretty much anybody who asks. He just kind of scrolls through and says yes. He's an ex-BMX rider. Like, he had a brain injury. Like, the guy's, I don't know, like, I'm kind of putting out a lot of, like, frivolous information about him, but he's never had a drink in his life. Um, He's, like, just a super nice guy. I've seen, like, a lot of stuff that he's done. He doesn't, I don't know how to say it. Like some people will put stuff on social media where they're looking like they're trying to be a cool person by helping somebody who's homeless. This guy will spend an entire day with someone that's homeless and really help them out. Like that's just who this guy is. He's just an all around super nice guy. And he plays music too. He writes his own songs and he plays a guitar and I really like his music. But I remember when I went on a couple of his lives, I was I just didn't even know how to talk. I was so starstruck I because I just have been watching him on this show forever. He's the big deal. I mean, if you watch this show, The Challenge, he's TJ. He's a big deal. I don't know. I can't explain it any more than that. You'd have to, like, watch the show. So, um, yeah, the one time he was at a place where they were playing live music and he accepted my live and then... I was like putting my hand over my mouth like, oh my God. And like, it was dark in there. And I remember he looked back and he kind of waved and then he like showed what was happening in the place where people were playing, people were playing music. And um, I told my kids, I'm like, I'm on his live right now. It's like, that is such a trip when somebody that you follow that's famous puts you on their live. And then another time he accepted my live because my daughter, I think somebody pushed it and I didn't want them to and he accepted it. And all of a sudden you're just like, you're on their live and you're looking right at them and you can't, I just could barely talk. I was trying to explain to him that I don't remember like what I, how I brought it up. Cause I, I think I told him, yeah, I told him that I'd been on the brain candy podcast. Two of the, well, the hosts for that show have both been on road rules and the challenge. And so he knows them, Sarah and Susie. And so I kind of dropped that on him. Like, Hey, I've been on their podcast. And um, he asked what it was for. And I just tried to like spill it out really quick. And I don't know why, but I was really embarrassed to tell him that I had HIV. I remember saying those letters and thinking, Oh, I don't want to like, uh, like this is just making it weird. Like I didn't want to make it weird, but um, he was nice, totally nice. And um, so anyways, I've followed him since. And so he had posted something today where he um, was in a speedo and another guy, which is so unlike him. He's like, not that type. He's not looking for attention. He's just, he's not like that. He, um, but he was, I guess he's like in Croatia with a friend 
And they posed with Speedos and they said some woman had photobombed them. It was all kind of a joke. But anyways, I said something in the post that um, I can't not see all the packages um, because, yeah, I mean, you just can't not see it. And so uh, then after that, he like liked three of my posts and followed me. And it's the only blue check that follows me. So I am so flattered and it just made my whole freaking day. I'm like on a cloud. It's so cool. So cool. Um, so that happened. And um, I was saying in some of my Instagram stories that I had a lot of, um, well, I don't really always know how I do on the podcast with regards to downloads. I mean, I kind of do, but in regards to like other people, I don't think it's that many, but on my YouTube, because this always transfers over to my YouTube channel, um, and you can listen to my podcast on my YouTube channel. Those views have been quite high and it could be my thumbnail cause it's a little, it's, well, I don't know. Is it a little racy? I have a bikini top on and shorts, but it's showing my, my midriff. So I don't know if that just made people click on it or the fact that I said, let me see you strip down to the bone. I don't know as my title, but it got more views than normal. And, um, it made me realize that I should be doing a part two to share more of what it was like working at a strip club um, in the 90s for about three, three and a half months I was there. And, you know, I looked it up online. It was called Risky Business. That's what we called it, we Risky for short. Uh, but if you went there, the big sign on the outside said showgirls. And so that's so funny, showgirls. Yeah, like I'm such a showgirl. But anyways, yeah, said showgirls. And I think they closed down in 2015. I think that's what I read online. And they had a, um, there was another, there was two other clubs in the area. We had a sister club. Uh, I meant to look up the name of it. I can't remember what it was. And then there was another club fairly close down the road called the Gold Club. And that was a big place. And I know those that frequented our club um, also went to the Gold Club and they liked a lot of the dancers over there. And what I found out kind of recently is that the Golden State Killer used to frequent the Gold Club. I have no idea if it was during the time that I was working and I don't know if he went to my club at all, but it's quite possible. I don't think he killed any strippers, so that's good. Um, but he did kill a lot of people. Um, but yeah, he, he was apparently, he, he went to the gold club a lot. And I don't know, part of me thinks like if he went there, he might've come to my club because it was literally like a mile away. So maybe he did. I don't know. Kind of creepy, but okay. So, okay. So I have so many stories from working at this club that I, I wrote some notes down just so I wouldn't forget. Um, what I forgot to say was when I first walked in that first night, what I was struck by most of all, well, first of all, just seeing young women walking around everywhere in high heels and G-strings and bras. And of course, if you're a man that frequents clubs like this, this is like nothing new to you. You're used to this. But for me, this was totally eye-opening and I could not believe my eyes. The lighting in these places, well, the lighting in there was just superb. It was dark and I feel like there was some I don't know how to describe it. There was just some brightness, not brightness. It was dark. It was everything was subdued. But we looked a little neon. Is that the right way to say we I don't know how to explain it. Like everybody looked tan. I mean, we were. I was I was using a tanning bed. I think probably everybody else was as well. But everybody's skin looked amazing. Like everybody's bodies looked amazing. And it was hard not to like just be sort of um, hypnotized by it all. And I, I would literally sit 
sometimes with other girls that were working just to take a break or I would sit with a customer and we would just watch the girls on stage because some of them were really, I mean, it was, it was mesmerizing, hypnotizing. You'd watch them and they were so beautiful up there, the way they'd move their bodies to the music. Sometimes they just walked slowly and they would just walk in a way that there was confidence and it made you really appreciate a woman's body. And it was beautiful. Really, I mean, I and I would just sit there and think, God, I wish I could move like that. And I would try to like take notes. I didn't want to copy somebody else's sort of technique and all of that. So I just tried to do my own thing. I don't think anybody was taking notes about what I was doing, but that's okay. Um, God, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I really tried. I I think I was okay up there. I definitely wasn't one of the best dancers or anything like that, but I was definitely the tallest. I mean, that's for sure, without a doubt. And again, probably the oldest. There was another couple, there was two other women that worked there that were probably a little bit older than me. Um, But like I said, mostly everybody was very young. They were, and then they'd be sitting with these men that were quite a bit older. And, you know, I think about it now and I'm like, wow, that's like just bordering on pedophilia. Like, ooh, didn't really think about that at the time. But yeah, that it really kind of was because there were some guys that were in their, you know, probably 50s and they have 18 year olds dancing for them, you know, doing table dances, which um, for those that don't know, a table dance isn't has nothing to do with a table. It just meant they were sitting on like the booth style Um, seats, you know, they're not chairs. They were sitting on like a bench, basically, you know, like a squishy bench, plasticky, you know, leathery. I don't know what you call them, but they would, you know, they kind of work their way around the room and they'd just be sitting on those. And so if there was a table in front of them, which there typically was like a little table, you just move it to the side and then you would, of course, uh, get in between their legs and, you know, start your dance and all of that. So that was a table dance and those were 20 bucks. And again, there was no touching. They could not touch. There was bouncers all around making sure that like, even if they tried to take their hands would typically be on their legs. And um, they would sometimes try to take like a thumb and just touch your leg. And like, I didn't care if they did that. But like, if they had turned their flat palm and touched your leg, the bouncer would come over right away and stop it. Like they really watched that stuff very closely and made sure that there was nothing inappropriate because, well, I think they could get closed down if they let too much get by. And that was probably the concern mostly. So yeah, they I didn't have anything really inappropriately happen while I was dancing. You know, everybody mind, minded their P's and Q's. Um, I did have one young man, and this was after I'd been there for a while. And I always worked, that was the thing, I always worked Thursdays through Sunday nights. I started my shift around 8 o'clock, and I think I probably came in at 7.30 just to get myself ready. And then I was done at three. So it was um, eight to three in the morning. And I mean, I was home by, you know, three thirty four, And then I would go to bed and my I remember, well, I'd come home and I'd I'd get in the bath, I'd clean up, whatever, because you feel so freaking grungy from rolling around on a dirty floor. And I did end up getting like a little rash on my leg uh, because from being on this dirty floor, I mean, it was really gross. So yeah, it was all attributed to that, just rolling around and on on a dirty, disgusting floor. But um, I remember going home and like, you know, always like rubbing my feet, taking a bath, kind of relaxing before I'd get in bed. I probably didn't go to bed till like five in the morning. And then my mom knew what I was doing. But it was funny because she would always call me around 10 to like wake me up and go, hi, you know, want to want to get up and meet for coffee or not even coffee because I didn't drink coffee then. But she, you know, she'd always kind of quote unquote, innocently call me 
to wake me up and I'd be like, oh my God, mom, I just got, like, I just went to bed like a little while ago. And it was sort of her way of hoping that she'd, you know, break this uh, cycle for me and maybe I wouldn't do it anymore. I mean, really, nobody told me not to. My family was kind of catching on to all of it. Well, I, I think I was pretty open about it. And um, I think they were just kind of like hoping it didn't last too long. I think that was it. So, but it was funny. She kind of would call me like she'd pretend like she didn't know I'd be sleeping, but I think she was just hoping to wake me up. So I just maybe eventually stopped doing this. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, another song, I named some songs that I used to dance to. I danced to Jay Giles' Centerfold. I danced to Brass and Pocket. I also used to dance to Red Light Special all the time from TLC. That was another big one. I love that song. And it just worked for what I was doing. So what else? So I said in the last podcast that I had a new set of boobies that I got. Um, it hadn't even been a year yet. And, you know, I like if you've ever watched my video about why I did it in the first place, I was very uneven. I had an A cup and a B cup and my A cup is on my side of my chest where my rib cage is tilted in. I have pectus excavatum or excavatum, whatever you call it, where my, my chest actually tilts in. Um, it's a really weird thing. Like I noticed it when I started college, I was like, damn, what is going on there? My ribs literally like dip in. So I have like this spot kind of like at your solar plexus where I could literally like kind of fill it up with, uh, I know I've seen that on David Letterman where they had some guy come in and do that. Like they filled his, uh, solar plexus up. He had this condition and his dog drank milk out of his, you know, chest. Anyways, mine's not that severe, but I definitely have it. And so I really wanted to fix, I hated it. I just felt like I looked weird. Like my chest was turning my boob would turn inward basically. And it was small too. It didn't match the left side. So the left side to me was always fine. I didn't care about that. I just didn't like my right side. So I got them. Obviously they had to match them up. I didn't just get one implant and I, I love them. It made me feel so beautiful. I felt like a woman. I felt normal. I could wear any kind of shirt I wanted. I could wear a bathing suit and I just felt normal. It was uh, really, honestly, it was the best thing in the world. Obviously I had some complications with them and I've had a few more surgeries since then. Did I have, I think I've had three, I don't even know if I've had three or four, but anyways, they were great and they were, I didn't go with jumbo boobs cause I didn't want that. I just wanted to look normal and I, you know, as a tall woman, I just wanted them to match my body. So I got a C cup and so when I went to the club, nobody could tell whether they were real or not. And they used to take bets on whether they were fake or not. And, you know, I kind of like didn't want to tell anybody that they were not real. Um, it was sort of fun that people actually couldn't tell. Because typically with um, implants, people exaggerate them. And it's really obvious that they're not real. But with my, in my case, I purposely asked him to make sure that they were not I didn't want jumbo boobs. I didn't want that. I just wanted to be normal. And if I could have been a B cup on both sides, I probably would have done that. But he needed to put an implant on the on the left side just to make it more even. So um, yeah, that was kind of fun that people didn't know they were real or not. And that was also a real compliment to my doctor that he did a really good job. And um, yeah, they were great. So here's here's one story. So I had kind of alluded to this um, in the last podcast. I met my kid's dad while dancing, and it was really interesting how it all went down. So I always worked, like I said, Thursday to Sunday and eight o'clock at night till three in the morning. But, you know, the club was open during the day. I think they opened at like 11 in the morning and um, there were girls that worked that shift a lot. They worked, you know, from 11 to five or whatever it was. And um, 
I just never did that. I figured like there would be more opportunities for better money later on. There's more guys coming in in the evening versus the day. So one day I worked with this girl. Her name was her stage name was Chance. Again, mine was Bailey and her real name was Pamela. And I didn't even know that for like I remember we we really kind of connected. She and I. Uh, she had two little kids. I didn't have any kids at the time, obviously, but she um, she was just really nice. And um, I felt like there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of drama in these places. It's all women. And she was one that didn't feel threatened by me and I didn't feel threatened by her or anything. I was just like looking for someone to connect with, you know. And I remember she was little and she probably wasn't the prettiest girl there, but she was blonde and um, a little bit older than the 18 year olds. Maybe she was 23. I don't even remember. But anyways, we had decided that we wanted to go out that night together. She and I like, let's go out. But we, we were always working at night. So we chose, we asked, can we work a day shift so that, um, you know, whatever, we didn't tell them why, but we wanted to go downtown Sacramento that night. And so uh, it was the one and only time that I worked a day shift. And uh, I came in and went to the back room, got my clothes out. A lot of the times I wore bathing suits or I'd wear a G-string with a bra, um, always in the high heels, the patent leather. And then sometimes I would wear this like one piece white patent leather. uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a super skimpy one piece bikini, maybe just like think of like lots of like a strip of material just covering kind of everything. That's kind of what it was. It was made up of literally nothing. Uh, But I would wear that sometimes. And so that day I'm inside. Obviously, it's dark in there. It feels like nighttime, even though it's daytime. And I see these two guys walking in. And I have to say the general crowd that came in there were, you know, I don't know, there was nobody that I was ever like, thinking, oh my God, he's so cute. Like that just wasn't happening. There were like older men that were not attractive. Um, A lot of guys who were not attractive, probably this is where they came to feel good, you know, to have some attention from a woman, touch a woman that they might not ever be able to touch uh, for, you know, 20 bucks or whatever, or be able to watch women, you know, that they'll never normally be able to watch in person or this close. That was sort of our typical clientele. Um, But this day, these two guys walk in and it's my ex-husband and his friend. And right away, I was like, oh, my God, they look so normal. Like, oh, my God. And they I could tell like he was my age. And so I believe. Yeah, I was. It was. uh, Hello. That's why I brought her up. It was Chance. And she grabbed my hand. She goes, we're going to go talk to them. I'm like, oh, my God. okay, or whatever. So I walk over there and I obviously gravitated towards Chris, my ex-husband, because he was really tall. He was 6'5", and I'm really tall in the heels, and Chance sat and talked to his friend Dave, and um, I remember telling him right away, like, I knew this guy was normal, and I don't know, I don't, not to say that other people that came in there weren't normal, but I just had this, like, I was kind of embarrassed, like, right away, like, I wanted to cover up, and I remember one of the first things I wanted to say to him is, I have a college degree, like, I don't, I don't really know why I'm doing this, but um, I'm, like, a normal girl, like, I didn't, I don't have a past where I had some kind of, like, problem, or I was, you know, neglected, or, you know, had some kind of sexual abuse, or whatever, I'm just, I'm kind of just doing something that's so out of my element right now, Um, I don't know, I just, I didn't want him to think that I was, like, damaged goods, No, that's not to say anybody, gosh, you have to be so careful what you say. That's not to say that somebody who's been sexually assaulted is damaged goods, but obviously people that have had those things happen to them, yeah, there's a lot that goes with it. So I just kind of 
sort of wanted to let him know like where my path had been. And we chatted. I mean, we really got along and he was really funny. And then it was my time to get on stage. And you know what he did? He did not come up to the stage. I remember that. He did not come up to the stage and sit at the table. Um, What did they call that? I think they just called that sitting at the stage. Anyways, if you sat at the stage, it was basically expected that you would leave at least a dollar tip, you know, for the dancer. And then she comes around and collects it as she goes to the next stage. So um, what he did is he stayed at his table. And then when I was done with my dance, he walked up and hand me a, handed me a dollar, which was that was sort of like out of respect. He wanted to like say, hey, I watched you, but I didn't feel like I needed to be right up close. Um, I don't know. There was something about that I thought was really sweet. So I don't know. They end up going and we were supposed to go out that night and meet them downtown. That's what we decided. We're going to meet them at a club downtown in Sacramento. And the night comes and I don't know why, but she and I decide not to go. I don't know, which is so unlike me. Like I don't usually flake on people, but I just kind of thought they're they're not going to end up there. And what they were up there for, by the way, is Dave's brother needed a mattress moved. I don't like they were in Sacramento, but Chris and Dave were from here, Santa Cruz. And so they were just up for the weekend. And Dave had persuaded Chris to go. He said, let's go to this club. And Chris was like, no, I don't want to go or whatever. He's like, whatever. But they did end up going. And it wasn't something that Chris would normally have done. If you knew my ex-husband, you would know that's not something like he's not going and, you know, going to strip clubs. That's like just not his thing. But Dave really wanted to go. And so, um, I always look back at that and I thought that was all kind of like meant to be because it wasn't something that Chris would have done. It was a day that I would have never worked. You know, there was a lot of those little things that played into like um, my thinking like this was all meant to be. And so we didn't meet up with them that night. And then I ended up going to work the next day and I'm in the back room where all the girls are getting dressed. And, you know, there's just freaking makeup and clothing and hair dryers and curling irons and uh, you know, hair products all over the place. You basically sit on these, you know, stools and there's mirrors all around. And then there's just this little shelf in front of you with all everybody's shit all over it. And I w- just happened to be sitting at this one spot and someone saw a piece of paper. It was an envelope. It was a long envelope, white business envelope. And it had writing on the back of it. And it was, you know, written like sideways, you know, like long I still have it. Um, But anyways, it was written. Dave wrote it. And it was something about how they'd gone to the club. They're sorry they missed us. Um, And Dave insisted that this happened, by the way, that they went to the club and dropped this note off. So what had happened was, is they must have slipped the note underneath the door because the club was closed. And someone just threw it in the back room. And it did say to Bailey and Chance. But like I said, this note was mixed um, with just a bunch of other stuff. And I just happened to be sitting there and I saw it and I picked it up. I was like, what? Like, what the hell? I didn't even like who, the how, how did this even end up in my hand? And so I read it and they say, you know, call us if you're ever in Santa Cruz or whatever. It was just like, you know, it was really nice to meet you guys. It was really sweet. And so Chris left his number and I decided to call him. And so I don't know if it was like that day or the next day, but we, I remember we talked for like two hours and did you shut my door? I just had an interruption by my daughter. I lose my whole train of thought if somebody comes in and I'm telling a story like I just can't think straight. But anyways, um, we talked for like two hours and I just remember he was so funny. Chris is actually hysterical. He's really, really funny. And we just had a great rapport over the phone. And so 
I don't know, I think Pamela, but I think she called Dave. And then somehow we just decided to arrange to go see them. And she and I drove down, I think it was two weeks later. And then he and I had, Chris and I had been basically talking on the phone almost every day up until that weekend came. And she and I drove down to spend the weekend with them. And so we went down and, you know, I still remember the bar that we went to in Santa Cruz. And, um, you know, I don't, we had a great time. I mean, we really did. We stayed for two nights and um, I was really, come on, Finn. I was obviously really into him. And I was also very torn on what I was doing because I didn't like what I was doing so much. Like, it's not like I was proud of it. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to do it forever. It really wasn't. I knew I wasn't making great money anyway. So it was really kind of time to move on. And I made a decision. I came back from that weekend and it happened to be Easter Sunday. She and I were racing back from Santa Cruz to go to work that night. Um, Easter Sunday, how lovely and wholesome. (laughs) And I think that's what I took from it. I was, I had fallen for this guy. We had a great weekend And now what? I'm going to go back to this club and take my clothes off for men? Like, what? And so I, you know, and there's women that can do that and their guys are fine with it. And that's all good because they can probably just put that wall up in their head and know that it's a business. And I just couldn't. I was um, totally having a hard time with the whole thought of it. And I just kind of fell apart as soon as I went in there. I... I think I got ready, and I remember really soon after I got there, I just was in tears, and I asked the manager if I could talk to him, and we went into a separate room, and I said, I'm I'm going to go. I'm not I'm gonna, not going to work here anymore. I can't do this anymore, and I met somebody, and I, I don't want to be here anymore, and, um, you know, he was really nice about it. He was like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure, you know, and I think I'd been thinking about it for those two weeks while I'd been talking to him that I, I didn't think I wanted to do it anymore um, if things worked out with him, and so... Um, I quit that night and I called my mom. I said, mom, I quit, called my sister. I quit. And then I got home and I called him. And by the way, I was talking on my very first cell phone at the time. This was like 1995. And I called him and I said, I was like so excited to tell him that I quit. And I remember what he said. He said, well, I'm really glad that you did. He goes, I honestly, I would have never told you that you should. He goes, but I can honestly say that if you continued, I'd I probably wouldn't have been able to continue to see you. And I said, I had a feeling for sure. And so that was sort of the beginning of it. I ended up moving to um, Santa Cruz. It took me a while. I moved to Mountain View first, which is, um, as they say, it was on the other side of the hill. There's a hill that you have to go over from San Jose to get over to the ocean side. And then I eventually moved over to Santa Cruz. And we were married, I think, two and a half years later. And then we had Joey a year later. Like I got pregnant with her probably three months after we got married. So, um, yeah, so that's the story of where I met my kid's dad. And I know for like his family and stuff, like it, we didn't talk about it. Like they knew where I met him. And I think it like gave them a bad, a little bit of a bad feeling. His sisters probably didn't like that. That's where he met me. But, you know, it wasn't who I was. It's like was a very small part of who I was. And it was just this kind of crazy thing I did. And but I felt like I sort of had this label on me um, a little bit, you know, with regards to like where we met. And so we always kept it a kind of a secret. If people asked where we met, we'd say we met at a club. I mean, we weren't lying. And then, um, you know, my daughters would ask, you know, where we met. And I think I 
said that for a long time. And so I finally spilled the beans to Joey, I don't know how many years ago, I think when she was 15. And uh, she couldn't believe it. And then, of course, she, can we tell Ryan? Oh, God, we got to tell Ryan. So ended up telling Ryan. And uh, yeah, so Ryan's known for a long time. You know, all their, whatever, all their friends know. But I don't care. It's like I was 25 at the time. I wasn't thinking about having three kids in my life at some point that I would have to share this with. When you're 25 and you're alone, you're alone. It's only you. You don't think about these things later when you have kids. And then of course, when you do, it's like, well, well, yeah, I did that. I don't know what else to tell you. So, um, so yeah, um, let's see what other stories I have. How many, how much time do I have here? I always thought it was strange that I didn't have any idea what anybody's first name was. We didn't, we didn't share that. Like it was very rare for someone to say what their first name was. We only knew each other by stage names. And so like no one knew my name was Jennifer. I didn't go around telling anybody that. And it wasn't like I was trying to keep it a secret. Just nobody cared because we were just we just went by the stage name. So I always thought that was really interesting that I had no idea what anybody's real name was. Um, so I had also said that in um, last podcast that when I went into pharmaceutical sales, going to training, there were so many similarities for me about how you sell medication to a doctor. One of the biggest factors is that you have to build a relationship with a doctor, right? And and then it's, it's, it's schmoozing. You're, it's fake. You know, you're bringing them bagels. You're bringing them coffee to the office. You're acting like you like them. You're, you're inviting them to golf events. Of course, a lot of these things they don't allow anymore. They took a lot of that away from um, pharmaceutical sales. Um, but, you know, we, back then we could use that. We had money for things like that. And you're, remember you, know, you take notes about everything the doctor tells you if he tells you anything about his personal life you remember the names of his you know kids his wife all these things to make them feel that you are you know you're friends with them basically and it gets you in the door and they are more likely to write your medication as a prescription because they remember you and they liked you so it's all this fake you know becoming friends with them. And of course, some reps do become friends with the doctors and all that. That's for sure. That's a thing. Um, but it's all, you know, based on that. I'm like, okay, the doctors know there's this game involved too. They know that we're playing this game too, but maybe they like it. Maybe it strokes their ego, whatever. But it's the same thing at the club. I mean, it's this fake relationship you're building with these clients that come in. You're remembering their names. You're remembering their stories. You're making them feel good. You're making them feel like you want to talk to them. You're making them feel like you are into them, you know, because you want the money. So for me, those two jobs were so similar. I think for sales in general, that is how it's run. It's a lot of fake relationships to get really what you want in the end. Okay, I did say that I didn't date anybody when I was there, which is true. I didn't know. I wasn't interested in it. I was just, you know, going to work, coming home, going to the gym sometimes, and, um, but there was this one time where, I don't know, I was just feeling a little frisky. I don't know why, but there was, um, some military boys who had come in and I don't know, maybe they, I think he, I feel like he was like 19. You only had to be 18 to get in there. I know he was younger than me and I was 25 and I felt like I was such an older woman and he was cute and he was blonde. And I don't know, I was just like, he's cute. Like, I don't care. So we were in a corner that was dark and my hair was sort of like uh, hanging to the side and nobody could see our faces. And I was dancing, you know, and of course I'd never done this with anybody else, but I kept putting my face like close to his face and I, I brushed my mouth over his and 
and then that was it. I just started kissing him. Like it was, I remember I was, I knew I could get in trouble, but I remember he was like shocked. Like he did not expect that because you're not supposed to do that. And I, it'll always go down as like a really great kiss. It was like, wow, like that was awesome. And I think like his hand sort of touched me. I'm like, yeah, I'm like totally into you. I did not see this guy outside of the club. It was only there. That was really fun and exciting. And yeah, it goes down as one of those great kisses that I remember. And uh, it was just whew, kind of all steamy, you know, kind of exciting. It was fun that I caught him off guard. I love that. So, um, so that's one other story. Okay. I had one guy who was a real asshole to me. Um, he came in with a group of guys. I think it was like a uh, bachelor party and they were good looking. I'd say late twenties, you know, very macho type. Like they all look like they could have been football players. And the girls were like, yes, like, you know, this big group came in. It's like, we're going to make some money. And, um, you know, I never know like whether they're going to be into me or not, but I thought maybe, you know, so, um, I think I'd asked, I just went for it and asked a couple of them if they wanted dances. Honestly, I cannot remember whether they said yes or not, but I do remember who the main guy was. And I remember him sitting kind of in the middle of the crowd of them. And when I got on stage, he came up to the stage to sit and watch my dance. And I was like, oh, cool. Like oh, the bachelor is coming up to watch me. That's cool. And so I get through my dance and about, I sort of mentioned this, um, in my last podcast, about three quarters of the way through my dance, he gets up and he walks away. He just gets up and walks away. And I'm like, and no money, nothing, not even a dollar. And so, and of course you're, you're, you feel horrific. You like, he's basically rejecting you, your body, you know, your dancing, your looks, whatever it is, something turned him off and he decided to get up and walk away. And so I, I decided to say something. And so as we're switching from one stage to another in between songs, I was able to stand there as I'm like covering myself with my clothing, right? I'm still naked. I think I always put my bottoms on before I came down the stairs. There was like a little stairway that you walk up to get onto the stage. So I always put those on before I walked around and collected my money, but I was covering my chest with my uh, bra or whatever. And and I said something to him, like, that's really rude that you got up and walked away. Like, that's not okay. You shouldn't be doing that. You don't come and sit at the at the stage and then get up and walk away. And so he's looking right at me. And I remember he was smoking a cigar and he yells. I remember it was so freaking like Tom Cruise-ish of him or whatever. Like, he had his arms out um, putting like around his buddies or on two chairs on either side of him. I remember like he felt like he owned the place and he had his, you know, feet up. I don't know, just something, maybe he didn't, but I just remember him looking like he, he felt like he owned the place. Like he's this like King smoking a cigar. And he says, do you guys hear something? I don't, I don't know. Do you hear something? I don't hear anything. Do you guys? And I mean, I felt I wanted to cry. Like how mean, how freaking mean. And all the girls are hearing this too. Like they, and they were pissed. 
he eventually got kicked out because he did some other like not appropriate things with some of the other girls. It wasn't making them feel bad. It was asking them if they would meet him later at a hotel. And that was actually inappropriate as well. You weren't allowed to solicit any of the girls and ask them to meet you later for payment um, for sexual favors. That was basically against the rules. So he did that. And so he got kicked out. So it was like I was glad he was kicked out. But I sort of wish he'd been kicked out for like doing something similar to one of the other girls because I felt like I was the only one that he rejected. It made me feel so shitty. And then I had to go on to the next stage and dance and act like I'm into it. But I clearly wasn't. And I felt like a piece of shit. So yeah, that was that was really horrific. I've never forgotten it. So that was not fun. Okay, so I think I'm going to get through all of these here. All right. So my brother, my brother, my brother's five years older than me. He visited me on New Year's Eve and Brian and I were huge Howard Stern fans. Like this was, I used to tape Howard Stern. No, no, no. He taped it for me. When I moved up to Sacramento, I couldn't get Howard Stern anymore. My brother would tape the show on cassette tapes and mail me tapes. Like he would mail me like a box of tapes every like two weeks. And I would literally listen to these tapes like they were I mean, I live for them. I loved Howard Stern so much. So we're huge fans. He and I waited in line for like five hours at um, a bookstore in San Francisco to get our books signed by Howard Stern. I still have the pictures. Howard signed my cleavage. Um, and it was just, it was awesome. And so, you know, and of course, back then, Howard was going to Scores Strip Club all the time. And he talked about it a lot. He always had strippers in his, I say strippers, which I think is politically incorrect now. Back then, that's what they called them. I think people just say dancers now, but he had them on the show a lot from Scores or whatever. He always had those girls milling around on the show. And so, it was kind of like I was living out my Howard Stern fantasies, but in Sacramento and um, and I had just met him. You know, I think I met him before I started dancing there. I'm not sure. It was really close to the same time, though. And so my brother was in town and he said he'd come by. And of course, when I worked there, my mindset was totally different. It, it became very normal being there and none of it was like shocking anymore. You're so desensitized to it that being in this place with girls that are mostly naked you know, walking around like this is just normal. And so Brian coming and visiting me wasn't a big deal to me. It was like, I'm, this is my normal. I'm always in, you know, a G string and a bra and high heels now. And I don't think much of it. So I didn't care that he came to visit me. But when I got on stage, um, he disappeared. I couldn't find him. Like he was gone. And, um, I, he told me later, he goes, you know what? He goes, I, I, cause he used to go to those clubs all the time. He used to go to this place in uh, San Jose and, um, they would give them a free lunch. And I remember him saying, they give you a, like a sandwich, like a half a sandwich and a cookie and a Coke or whatever. He loved it. He would go there and eat his lunch on his lunch break and watch the girls dance. And so he was, yeah, I guess he used to go to those places a lot. But when he saw his little sister get up on stage, uh, he said that, that it was like, uh, nope. And he got up and like walked out. And I, t I clearly get that and understand. And I can't believe like I would have been like fine with my brother watching me dance. So, I mean, I don't even know what I was thinking, but yeah. So my brother actually didn't see me dance. Um, he took off and he was really sorry. And I was kind of bummed cause I wanted to, uh, see him for new year's cause it was new year's Eve. And I thought he'd be there at midnight and I thought that would be kind of cool to have my brother there, but, um, he, he took off <laughs> and I don't blame him. All right, another story. This is this is the most uncomfortable story of all of them. So 
prior to moving to Sacramento, I had graduated from San Jose State and I got a job with Cadillac. I worked at the sale, the zone office. It's called the zone office. And I worked in distribution. I was an assistant distributive, what don't know, assistant product. I was an assistant product distributor. That was it. That was my name. And, but I was like through Kelly services. I was never a permanent employee, but they did treat me like a permanent employee. I was there for a year and a half through Kelly services, which is a temp service. So I didn't get benefits, but I did get paid like 15 bucks an hour. And back then that was pretty good. And I, you know, I dressed professionally. We were in a business environment. There was probably 20 of us in this office. Pontiac was in the um, building as well. Cadillac and um, the other big Chevrolet, maybe um, the big American, you know, car makers. I even took some trips to Detroit with one of the um, the lady that I work with, and you know, it was it was it was a big deal. It was really cool to work in that office. But um, I was out of a relationship. I'd been with somebody for three years, and it just wasn't working out. And we were living together, and I my mom lived up in Sacramento now. My sister was up there. And, um, I, my sister just had a baby and I just wanted to be closer to them. So I broke up with this boyfriend who eventually became a police officer for San Jose. And anyways, I moved up there on my own. It was my first time living on my own. I had my own apartment. And like I said, I couldn't seem to find a job like I had at Cadillac. I, that was a really great job. And I thought I would be able to find something similar up there through a temp agency, but all I could find was like 11 bucks an hour. And then this whole opportunity to go dance came up and I thought, I'm going to do that instead. So word got back. There was no, you know, Facebook or anything back then. I don't even know how they found out. I might have told Janet. I must have told Janet, the lady I worked with, that what I was doing through over the phone. And so then word got around to the men that I had worked with. And there was two men that I worked with specifically. I worked under them at Cadillac, Everett was one of them. And I won't say the last name because I don't know if you can look these people up. And Dick was the another one. Dick was like shorter than me. He was bald, Coke bottle glasses, like uh, George Costanza, basically. That's like exactly like that. And then Everett was like good looking, nice guy. He had a beautiful wife, two, you know, young kids and, you know, very, very respectful guy. And then Bill Green came. He was a black gentleman that worked there. Bill's passed away since. I don't know about the other two. But anyways, all of a sudden, these executives from Cadillac show up one night at my club. And they walk in and it is like so surreal. I can't even... I can't even comprehend what I'm seeing. And they're all in suits like they normally were at work. And here I am trotting around in high heels almost naked. None of them have seen me this way. They've always seen me in very professional attire because I always dressed really nice, you know, in, uh, when I worked for Cadillac. And I'm, I, go, I remember going into the back room and just being like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, there's no escaping this. What am I going to do? Like, they're here. I've got I've to go say hi. So I remember going over. I, it's not totally clear the whole night because this is 25 years ago. But I do know that I went over. I sat with them. I said hi. Uh, I was really nervous. Like, I hi. I can't believe you guys are here. Wow. Hi. This is me almost naked. Hi. Yeah. Um, okay. So they watched me go up and dance. And I remember Dick came up, George Costanza came up and sat at the stage and watched me uh, really intently. It was really creepy. And I was like, oh my God. And I was so doing the out of body experience, outer body, out of body, whatever the hell it's called. And I was just going through the motions, 
trying not to focus on what was really happening because it was just too much. Like, I can't believe like this guy that I work for is turned on and watching me and I'm so grossed out right now. And so we come back to the tables or the dance is over, whatever. And I come back out after I go back because I typically after the second stage, I would go back into the dressing room and get myself, you know, you fix your hair, whatever, you get yourself all situated And, um, and then I thought, I gotta go back out and talk to them. So I go back out there and I don't remember if I danced for Everett. I feel like he was, I just remember him being very respectful there too. And he didn't want to make me uncomfortable, but Dick wanted a dance. He wanted a table dance. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm like, really? Uh." And of course I need that $20. I needed it. And I knew he had it. And so we end up going to um, one of the benches up towards the back. And I just remember dancing for him and the way he was watching me, like he kind of slumped down in his seat, you know, and like, he's really like, almost like he's, you know, he's tucking his butt under and kind of lifting himself up. And I just remember being like so grossed out, but I was doing all my normal same moves he might have even moaned. I don't even remember, but I just remember the whole thing was super creepy to me. And I just remember he was looking at me with such lust and it was like, Oh my God, were you, did you think of me this way at Cadillac when I worked there or what? Um, and that's all I remember from it. I don't remember saying goodbye to them or anything. I, he paid me and you know, he, I remember him just saying, I I do remember saying that I didn't want to do it like, no. And like laughing and stuff. And he goes, you got to do it. You got to dance for me. You got to. And I was like, no, I don't know. And I like remember just not wanting to. And then I finally gave in. And I it was kind of one of those things like I should just do it so that I can say that I did it too and just get it over with instead of feeling like maybe I failed and didn't do it. But I did it. I did it. And it was I'm still creeped out by it 25 years later. But I'm, I'm still glad I did it because it was uh, a, a good story. <laughs> OK, I have one more story that I can share that has to do with the pictures that were taken of me when I was dancing there. So there were men that would come in, I guess, that were, you know, amateur photographers, and they took pictures of the girls. And I saw some amazing pictures of these girls, just beautiful, like they caught them in the right angle. I don't I mean, they're not like from elite modeling agency, but they made these girls look amazing. And so the girls said it was free. And, you know, these guys are really respectful, you have nothing to worry about. And so knowing that so many of these girls had gone and like kind of wondering, like, why would they do this for free? I don't know. Like, what is it that they're getting out of it by doing it for free? But they were. And so there was two different photographers. So the first guy I went to, um, I wasn't worried about because everybody had confirmed several people that said he's really nice. You have nothing to worry about. And he was also really small. He was um, I remember he was Hispanic. He was older, probably in his 40s. Um, he was like a very slight build. And I guess there was that part of me that thought I could overcome him if he tried anything. I mean, how stupid really? Because if you put yourself in a position where you're alone at someone's house, then, you know, you never know what could happen. So I, that was sort of very naive on my part, but I went to his place. He, it was all set up in his garage. And again, again, this is like winter time. So it was not warm in there. I remember it was cold and he was good. Like I remember he's, so there's a picture that I posted recently that he took that picture. It's black and white. And I remember him saying like, 
showing me how to move my mouth to like make like a pouty face and he'd go do it like say this I think he said for me to say like oh or you or something like to say like different vowels and he was like and then and then just look at me that way and I it wasn't like I was turned on by him or anything obviously um <laughs> just wasn't at all um yeah we would very mismatched I was not in you know into him at all but and I remember him acting a little nervous and working quickly and being really nice and like making sure I was trying to make sure I was comfortable and then I'd he was the one who recommended do you want to do some nude shots and so I did do some without any clothes on at all and of course you just sort of take yourself out of the fact that you're standing there naked in front of a man you don't know because you're doing this all for these pictures that might turn out really cool. And so you just sort of put it out of your mind that you're totally naked, you know. And so I have some, I don't know, they're not, nothing's vulgar at all. Everything's very tasteful, but I do have naked photos that he took of me. And so um, that that experience was okay. I just remember it was cold. It was in a garage and he had like a big backdrop like pinned up to something in his garage. And I just stood in front of that. It was like gray and black and white kind of, you know, he had the, the lights with the umbrellas on him and it felt professional and I felt safe. So that was fine. And then there was this other guy. And I, like I said, I had several pictures that he took that I really did end up liking. And then there was this other guy that I went to and it was in his apartment and I somewhere in Sacramento and I know it was like an upstairs apartment. He was alone. I remember he was like, if you're going to pick someone that's close to like a serial killer that you would think of, like this guy was it. Like he was not friendly. He didn't smile. He was older than me also, probably mid thirties, um, bigger than me. He could definitely take me on, you know, no problem at all. And I'm in his place changing in his little bathroom, you know, and one skimpy outfit after another. And I felt like he was, I just remember his whole tone or vibe was, um, just like he was irritated. Like he just seemed kind of like he just wanted to get this over with. Like he's not into it. He clearly made me feel like he thought I was not that attractive. I just couldn't seem to like, do any of the poses right. He seemed frustrated with me. I felt ugly. I was like, oh my God. Like, and I hated the way all the pictures turned out, by the way. Anyways, he was one where I felt like I literally could have been raped or killed. Like, I don't know. No one had ever had any trouble with him, but the whole vibe was really bad. And looking back, like that was so stupid. I mean, I think I did give my mom, I obviously had the address and I called her and gave her the address before I went, uh, just in case there were any problems. And I I just, the whole thing was super awkward. That was a very bad experience. Um, and, you know, I mean, I listen to true crime all the time and that was dumb. Like that was no two ways about it. That was dumb. I should never have done that. Um, I could have been, um, you know, on the news the next day. Who knows? You know, I'm really lucky that nothing happened. And maybe he wasn't a bad guy at all. Maybe he was just, you know, having a bad night. I don't know. But I definitely put myself in a position of vulnerability as a woman that I shouldn't have. And uh, thankfully, nothing happened. Um, okay, so there was that. Um, one last one to end on. Chance and I were asked to do a bachelor party. We didn't know what that entailed. I never did porn. People ask me that all the time. People ask me if I ever uh, got paid for sex. I did not do that either. I just danced. But we did do one bachelor party, and we were really nervous. I didn't do drugs. 
I drank back then. I would definitely drink if it was social, but I knew I needed to not drink because I can't be drunk or tipsy in high heels because I'm, you know, you got to be careful. You don't want to fall over and look stupid. So we get to this place, all these guys, it's, you know, it's at a house. There's uh, we're, and the reason to do this is because of course you want to start getting into this because this is where the money is, right? I think I got paid like $120. I don't even remember. It still wasn't much for the time that we put in, but I think we were there for about, I don't know, probably under an hour. They give us a bathroom to go in and change and she freaked out. All of a sudden she decides she can't do it. There's all these guys. Basically it looked like a bunch of guys in a living room watching football, that kind of scene where they're all drinking beer you know, everybody's in their 20s and the lights are bright in the living room. It's not like the same as the club. And we're the star of the show, me and her. And so she decides all of a sudden that she can't do it. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, we can't come here and leave. Like, I want to do this. I want to get paid and I want to like, I want to see how this goes. But I am nervous. Like, I am nervous. And so I tell them, um, we're almost ready to go. And I can't remember if it was a surprise or not. It might have been. I just remember there was a guy in a chair in the middle of the room, and he was the one that I had to walk up to. And I was trying to just remember that this is the moment. Uh, it's going to be okay. They want to see this, and they're paying for it, and um, everything's going to go fine. Just dance like you do at the club for somebody, you know. But of course, he's in a chair like he's not there's no you know when we danced at the club it was a bench you know they're sitting at a bench like if you were sitting um, in a booth at a restaurant you know but it's a, a bench you know what I, I can't explain it any better than that it's not a chair so chairs are not as stable there's not as much to hold on to it makes it much harder to do a lot of things um, but anyways I came out to ACDC's shook me all night long and if you know that song like that's kind of a big song like it's sort of saying a lot as you're walking out because that song is killer. It's amazing, right? The beat. And I kind of felt it like, yeah, I'm this woman who you're all going to look at and he's going to get this dance for me and it's going to be amazing. I remember my heart was racing. I was really nervous. I felt like such an imposter that I tried to play the role and act like this is, yeah, this is who I am. I'm this girl or whatever. And um, I did it. I got through it. We ended up I don't remember how long we were there for. It wasn't that long, but we ended up giving like dances, like the guys were on couches and then that's a better situation for dancing because you have more, it's more stable. You have more to hold on to. And I remember we danced for them. Chase did come out or Chase, Chance, I keep calling her Chase. Chance did come out and she did dance for guys that were sitting around. And, um, but I was the one who came out and did the main dance for The Bachelor and he was happy with it. It was it all went down and it was fine and we left, but we were sort of disappointed by the amount of money cuz I had to split it with her. And I think because I did the main dance, I remember leaving like with $120 and she got like 80 or something. I don't even know. She might have even had 40. It was not a lot of money again, you know. It was definitely probably not worth it. Again, it's just another story to tell, but man, I did it. Did one bachelor party. <laughs> So that's it. That is my big, I can't really think of any more stories from the place. There's probably more, but um, that's pretty much the bulk of it. It was, um, yeah, it was a time. It was kind of crazy. And um, again, I regret nothing. It was a look-see into another profession that I would have normally have never seen. And, it, you know, everything gives you perspective on different people and 
um, you know, it was just interesting. It was a lot of meeting people and talking and, you know, whether it was the girls dancing there or the men that I was speaking to, but it was that time in my life. And that's what I decided to do for that, you know, short amount of time. And it led to meeting my kid's dad. And I, my, I jokingly said to Ryan yesterday, if I had never stripped, you wouldn't be here, you know, and she put that on her Twitter, of course, but it's true. I mean, I wouldn't have met her dad otherwise. Um, so All right. I'm going to wrap it up. That is it for this week. I hope you guys have a great week. I've spoken to Miss Lee, Fatal Attraction, real legal name, Marissa, and we are going to hook up um, this coming week and do our podcast together so we can hear her story. She is HIV positive. She does adult film. I believe she dances as well. I'm really looking forward to talking to her and sharing her story with all of you. Um, If you like my podcast, don't forget to give it a five-star review or whatever. I don't know. Can I really ask you to give me five stars? Maybe you only think it's worth four or three, but whatever. Um, Give me a review and comment if you'd like. Subscribe so you know when my next podcast will come out. I don't always do them every Monday, but I'm trying to. And have a fantastic, badass week, everybody. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the comments on YouTube. I do get those. They're really motivating and they make me want to continue doing my podcast. Um, If anybody wants to sponsor me, uh, that'd be freaking fabulous. (laughs) Got none of that right now. This is all free. All right, guys. Have a great week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.